You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from the triune God. So growing up in a regular church-going household, there were all these things that we were like not supposed to do or that or that we were supposed to do to to show that we were Christians, like listening to Christian music instead of secular or avoiding cartoons that had anything vaguely witchy about them. (laughs) Like He-Man was even suspect because he says, I have the power. Instead of God has the power. (laughs) You know, the normal ones, we said gosh instead of God. And we were never supposed to say that we hated something or someone. We were supposed to say that we really, really didn't like them. But the absolute worst thing we could ever say was the F word. Not that F word. Our F word was fool. Never. You had better prepare for World War III if you called someone a fool. After all, as in today's gospel, Jesus says, if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. But from this rule, I didn't just learn that good Christians don't say fool. No, along the way, I also picked up on this notion that good Christians also don't get angry. I mean, who could blame us with Jesus going around saying stuff like in today's gospel, but I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. So growing up in the church, it was, it was made pretty clear that anger was a dirty word. And then when I left my fundamentalist roots, I I joined the liberal America where anger is equally as dirty, you know, with the expectation that you should be able to keep anger at bay through a a combination of yoga and meditation and good medication. (laughs) And here in Colorado, good medication extends even further. (laughs) So for years, I carried around this conviction that anger was beneath me. That is, until I discovered a few years ago that I was more tied up with anger than I had ever realized. I had to, as part of my ordination process, I had to take a a really uh, in-depth psychological exam. And I remember the day that I went in to discuss the results with the psychiatrist. I was confident that nothing would surprise me. After all, I had been in therapy for years, and I was in recovery, So, you know, I had done my work. I was shocked when we got to this section that measured what they call unexpressed anger. My results were supposed to make this really pretty bell curve. Mine made what looked like an icicle. In other words, I had not found the secret formula for how to avoid anger. I was just really, really bad at recognizing when I was angry. 
the anger was still there, but it wasn't getting expressed. Instead, it got all twisted up until it was forced to come out in forms that were usually worse. Difficulty making friends, depression, anxiety, and eventually drug and alcohol addiction. And though at the time of this exam, I was well on my way to dealing with many of the most serious issues, I I had no idea how many of my problems were connected to an inability to know and express when I was angry. I mean, in order to deal with my anger, I had to know it was there in the first place, right? Which is what I hear Jesus saying in today's gospel. That anger is something we all feel, but we have to know that it's there. We have to know that it's there if we ever want to be freed from it, freed from the ways that anger is toxic when it gets all pent up. Because Jesus certainly wasn't avoidant of anger himself. Jesus gets angry throughout the Gospels. He's constantly throwing shade at the Pharisees. He calls Peter Satan for lying to him. He flips the tables in the temple, and he even cries out in anger at God from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus isn't afraid of anger, but he does seem concerned with our our ability to recognize it. Hear Jesus' words again from today's gospel. You have heard it said that in ancient times, you shall not murder And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. When Jesus sets murder next to anger with a sibling, I hear Jesus saying that anger doesn't discriminate. Anger doesn't belong exclusively to violent criminals. Because anyone who has a sibling will admit that anger comes with the territory. (laughs) Anger is normal, and it doesn't belong to one class of people or one religion over another. In fact, when I met with the psychiatrist for for that psychological exam, he told me that unexpressed anger is most often seen, seen among people of faith, especially among religious leaders and clergy. And it's almost as equally found among people in helping professions, like teaching, social work, and nursing. I don't know, my arithmetic might be off, but I think that's most of us in this room. (laughs) It's a lot of unexpressed anger, and unexpressed anger always leads to violence, unless it's released and transformed, either violence against others or violence against ourselves, like addiction, eating disorders, depression, etc. But the good news is that Jesus invites us to know our, our anger. When he sets side-by-side murder and more innocent-seeming anger, like, like with a sibling, Jesus doesn't let any of us off the hook. I hear him saying that, All of our anger has to be brought into the light of day because all of it is toxic when it stays hidden. But expressing anger isn't easy. And for me, just knowing that God wants me 
to express it isn't always enough. It often feels easier to just let it go. I often feel like it's not worth it. And so once again, I get stuck in my anger. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about this feeling stuck in my anger just because there's so much of it out there. There's a lot of anger flaring up in me and in those around me. Anger about what's happening in Washington, what's happening at our borders, what's happening in our hospitals and in our schools. There are a lot of reasons to be angry, and it looks like they will be around for a while. And as someone who knows how hard it can be to express anger, the thought of a society swallowing its anger for four, eight, or however many years, that's scary. So here is where I find hope. I find hope in your prayers. When I hear you pray that you're angry at your family for turning their backs on you because of who you love, when you pray that you're angry, your antidepressants have stopped working, when you pray that you're angry at Trump supporters but you still want to learn to love them, when you pray that you're angry, I feel that tug at the door of my own heart. And so it opens just a little bit more and a little bit more. When I hear your prayers, I'm reminded that my anger isn't special. None of us experience a unique brand of anger that is somehow more resistant or more stubborn to the grace of God. When I hear you pray that you are angry, I get to breathe a sigh of relief that if you can release your anger, then maybe I can too. And after I hear your prayers every week, I get to be reminded that Christ is making peace among us right here, right now, and I get to share a sign of peace with you. I experience the peace as like a pressure release valve where you look into my eyes and say that no matter what I'm carrying, no matter what I'm feeling, God is making peace with all the stuff of my life, including my anger, that nothing is useless, nothing is wasted. All of who we are right now, all of the emotions we feel, all of the anger we express or can't bring ourselves to express yet, all of it is useful to God. And if all of it is useful, then I don't have to be afraid to be honest about what I'm actually experiencing right now. And if what I'm actually experiencing right now is anger, then maybe all God wants for me, for me right now is to stand naked in my anger and know that God is right beside me. Because that's what passing the peace is all about. It points to the gift that we proclaim every week from the table, God's gift of grace and love that is for all of us wherever we're at. You know, there's this belief floating around the church. It's not a terrible belief, but um, there's this belief that the peace, the passing of the peace exists as a moment 
in the liturgy for us to iron out any last-minute differences so that we're pure and perfectly reconciled to each other by the time we come to the altar table. You know, it's lovely when that happens. I've experienced passing the peace with someone I've been avoiding or someone I know I've upset. It's powerful, but it's not always going to work out that way. The object of our anger may not always be in the room, or we might not be ready to express our anger, or the, pro- the problem might just feel so big that one hug isn't going to totally fix it. So often we come to the table when things in our lives are unresolved. But that's the whole point. Because at the table, Jesus pours out his life for all his faltering friends in a meal that tastes of freedom. God welcomes us all to taste that freedom wherever we're at. And that freedom is the freedom to stand before God as we are. Angry, furious, ready to get over it, not ready to get over it. Able to see how twisted up we are and not yet able. However we are, that's how we stand before God at the table. Because God, who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, loves you as you are. And in this meal, God forgives all your sins. 